MPB Think Radio. This is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Everyone knows what arachnophobia is, fear of spiders, but what about ophidiophobia? You know what that is? It's an abnormal fear of snakes. And I'm sure that today's guest doesn't have that fear because he's here to tell us all about his work with snakes of Mississippi. Herpetologist Terry Vandeventer will let us know what's going on with the snakes in the state, especially the diamondback rattlesnake. And if you have a pet question, Dr. Major's here, ready to help. Join the conversation this morning with your phone call, 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 877-672-7464, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, who's veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. I think most people know an arachnophobia is the fear of spiders, but what about ophidiophobia? It's an abnormal fear of snakes, and I think our today's guest doesn't have that fear because he's here to tell us about his work with snakes of Mississippi. So we'll be visiting today with herpetologist Terry Vandeventer, and he'll let us what's, uh, go and know what's going on with snakes here in Mississippi. Uh, if you have a pet question, Dr. Major is ready to help as well. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss, miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it does repeat Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, before we get into things, a couple of uh, events to mention. Nature Fest, uh, Libby, I know that's one of the, the museum's big thing uh, yes. every year, and it's going on uh, this Saturday. Tell us about some of the things that uh, folks can see. 10 o'clock to 5 o'clock, and I'm excited about going. There's a red kangaroo and a bush baby and a monkey tail skink, which I didn't know what it was, Troy. <laughs> um, I hear that it's a very long, like, I'm holding up my hands like people can see that, but it, it, it can be a yard long. Yeah, it's and a lizard. He's, and he's yeah. bright green lizard, and he's going to be at the museum, so I think that's worth going to see, if nothing else. And I've never seen a bush baby or a red kangaroo in person, so they'll be there. And I think I, the one year I helped out as a volunteer, I remember there's uh, tours or, or groups going through the trails. Yeah, um, they're, yeah, they're tours out on the trails there are people from really from colleges i think all over the state i know there are people coming from mississippi state to help people um learn more about things that they see outside at the museum and there uh there'll be tours of the labs inside i think i'm going to be a volunteer doing some of that terry's going to be there with his snakes and let's see you're doing programs at one thirty and 4 o'clock right? right in in the outdoor um Amphitheater, like always. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the 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 rattlesnakes that he talks about today, there'll be at least one of those mm-hmm. on Saturday <laughs> as well. So um, it's a really fun day. 
And now, you know, I didn't check on this, but usually the food trucks were there with food, which oh, is... that's always important. That, that's, that's, yeah, that's real fun. And I think from last week, I remember there'll be a couple of bats uh, on display as well. That's right. Yes, Chester is going to be there with bats. Yeah. You know, a lot of our guests here through the year, that we see the 50 weeks that we're on the air here, a lot of those people show up with their respective animals, Joe... McGee that talked about frogs here, he's going to be there now. But yeah, like I said, I, I did volunteer that one year. It's a huge event, uh, lots of fun, lots of different things to do, uh, and it's one of the biggies for the museum each year. Well, I think you need to come volunteer this time and help Terry with the snake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly ophidophobic, but uh, I, actually, that's funny because I've been sort of indifferent to snakes, but uh, you know, from from here, when we've had a couple snakes in in studio a couple of times, it's. Uh, it, they're interesting creatures, although it is always funny to me because it's the the one time I was holding one and it sort of reacted to what I was doing. And it, I don't, for some reason, I had the back of my mind that the snake should just very docilely lay there and let us do whatever it wanted <laughs> with it. And it's like, well, he's just as worried about what's going on as you are. Sure, <laughs> sure. Also on April 4th, a rattlesnake lecture by Dr. Bruce Means. Uh, we'll be talking about one of the snakes that we'll mention today, the diamondback rattlesnake. So a couple of events to look forward to there. Yes. So. Uh, so our guest, Terry Vendeventer. Terry, thanks for joining us again. Oh, thanks. It's always a pleasure. I'm a champion of snakes, so I like to spread the good word every chance I get. Give us a little uh, idea of your background. Is, is, is are snake something that you've always been interested in? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I turned 64 on Nature Fest, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and I caught my first snake when I was four. Oh, and wow. I grew up in the middle of the Great Corn Desert of central Illinois, Uh catching snakes and putting them in bottles and jars and anything I could hold them in and, and uh, made it my career. And I, I love them and I try to, you know, spread the good word about them and let people know that they're not the, the terrible things they may have grown up thinking. Do you think that's probably the biggest myth about snakes is that people think that they're, you know, out to get us, I guess a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. Snakes are just out there making a living. You know, mm -hmm. they're not looking for uh, to bite people. They don't attack human beings, but they do... They do respond when they're threatened or they're, they can't get away when, they're, you know, when their escape is cut off. They'll certainly fight for their lives like any other animal. But they're not, they're not hanging around waiting to, to attack and bite people. And I, they probably got a little bit of a bad shake in Sunday school. You know? <laughs> but, but I think most people these days don't really take that literally. You know? it's, it's an important organism and we'd be in bad shape if we didn't have snakes for sure. Uh, but also, I think uh, for folks that are afraid of snakes, the more they get to know about snakes, maybe the closer they're willing to come in proximity to one might help dispel some of their their fears. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in the past 41 years, I've spoken to over a million and a half children in, in Mississippi schools, and a lot of those children now have gray hair. <laughs> and they they come to me and they tell me about how they remembered the program when they were in third or fourth grade and, and how it changed the way they look at them. And, and that is um, heartwarming to me. It, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm really doing something I'm getting across to people because so many people are closed-minded. Mm -hmm. And it may take generations for people to change their thoughts about things. And so, yeah, we do what we can. We've got some open phone lines, so if you have a <clears throat> question for Dr. Major or if you're uh, needing to know something about snakes, give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so tell us about the Living Reptile Museum. Oh, well, that uh, 
the Living Reptile Museum is the name of my business. It's an educational science and safety type program I do for schools and and uh, public utility companies, libraries, that sort of thing, and, and uh, where I bring live animals and I talk to people and educate them, hopefully, about uh, about their friend, the snake. Mm-hmm. You know, they may may not think that when they're when I start, but when when I when I'm done, I hope uh, that we change the minds. Snakes have a bad image, and when you have a bad image, you need an agent. <laughs> and I'm I'm their agent, so I'm the one out there, you know, uh, dispelling the myth that the only good snake is a is a dead snake. And frankly, we don't hear that that much anymore, mm-hmm. which is pleasing to me for sure. So, but uh, it's not a place. The Living Reptile Museum is not a place you can visit. I visit you. Gotcha. And, um, Dr. Major, I know uh, some folks have uh, snakes as pets. Have you have you ever had a, a pet snake at the clinic? Of course. Uh, the most common snake is uh, that's kept as a pet, uh, obviously, is a ball python. Uh, they're fairly docile. Uh, I, Terry would probably agree with me that most people should not have snakes as any type of pet. But the ball python, if cared for properly, and this is one of the things with any exotic animal, do your research, know what you're doing, and know how to take care of it before even starting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of information that can be helpful, and uh, I would say that uh, most of the snakes that I've seen at the clinic are well cared for. That's good, and I would think you know if if uh, if you're someone who has a, a a snake as a pet, you obviously you know enjoy them, and, and and it's good to see that folks are being responsible. But that's a good point that you made about uh, any sort of exotic pet. There, do and, do some research and need to know what they what they need to uh, to be healthy. And Terry may disagree with me, but in my opinion, uh, snakes are not emotional. In other words, they don't come up necessarily to be petted and loved <laughs> yeah. on uh, yeah. like some people would like to have any pet. That would show emotion and love toward them. They they're they're generally not considered to be uh, an emotional type. Yeah, animal. they're they're not party animals by any means. <laughs> but but one thing to consider is that um, there's no fur or feathers, That's and true. and a lot of people are allergic. And children need to commune with nature. And if they catch a little green lizard and bring it in a, in a jar and it dies. Well, that may seem sad, but many of our greatest conservationists and environmentalists, uh, E.O. Wilson and Sorry. and uh, Harry Green and many famous conservationists started with a little snake in a peanut butter jar, and they went on to greater things. Children need to commune with wildlife, and sometimes it isn't as, uh, you know, as, it doesn't turn out as good for the animals sometimes, but in the long run, those people may do wonderful things to save wildlife. I would agree. I know when I watch some of those nature shows, it, it sometimes brings a tear to your eye because, again, it's out there and, you know, the the gazelle is going to get attacked by the lion or whatever it is. And it, it can be sad, but that, you know, I think it's important to, to realize that's what's what's going on uh, in the world around us. Got a couple calls to get to. So let's start things off uh, by going to Don in Lexington. Good morning, Don. You're on the air. Don, are you with us? Yes, I am. Sorry okay. No problem. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I was listening to your article about uh, snakes, and I thought it was uh, kind of interesting. Um, I grew up in Seattle area, and we don't have any poisonous snakes there. And one thing I noticed is that a lot of people in Seattle aren't really, really scared of snakes. But when I moved here to the south, where you have poisonous snakes, you have that syndrome where any good snake is a dead snake. So... Um, 
just wanted to kind of give that cultural perspective, mm-hmm. and also have an also have a second question about uh, my dog. Okay. He's got a bit of a growth on his shoulder blade. It's kind of it's kind of fatty. It doesn't hurt him, but it's gotten about the size of a big golf ball. Okay. Um, can you tell me anything about that? I've taken him to the vet, and he said it might be a fatty tumor, but didn't really know. Right. And uh, and I've seen older dogs before that have had this situation. Right. And nobody's really done anything about it. So, well, a uh, lot of times it will be a lipoma or fatty uh, tumor. Uh, on the other hand, there are growths that can be uh, certainly malignant and could cause some very serious issues. Probably, based on what your vet has told you, probably is a lipoma. On the other hand, I would say that at the very least a fine needle aspirate, in other words, aspirate that and see if it's fat, uh, would at least help you understand what's going on. The other option would be to go on and take it off and uh, know for certain that it was not a malignancy. Okay. All right. So, so you're basically saying kind of drain it? Uh, it won't drain if it's a lipoma. I would say actually excise it uh, if you're not sure what it is. If your vet's not sure what it is, actually remove it and have a histopathology exam done. So you'll know that this is not a tumor or if it is fatty. Okay. Okay. All right, Don, thanks for your call. Uh, as a quick follow-up, uh, Terry, the, do you think what he said made a little bit sense, that if uh, folks don't encounter snakes, um, so encountering snakes is maybe good for some people that get to know them, and, and uh, but other the up-close uh, is why they might be afraid of them? Well, um, actually, around Seattle, they do have venomous snakes. <laughs> <laughs> they have Pacific, northern Pacific rattlesnakes. But um, the Pacific Northwest is a different culture. Mm-hmm. I think most people understand that. And Mississippi is largely a rural culture. And so people hunting, fishing, farming, camping, whatever, will encounter snakes. So uh, people that live in the city, deep in the city of larger metropolitan areas, may never have encountered a snake. But we find that they're still afraid of them. We don't know why, and they can't tell us why. They just are. And it used to be we said that children are not born with a fear of snakes. They have to be taught to be afraid we're beginning to look at that a little differently now. Hmm. We're beginning to think that maybe there's something in those recesses of our brain that go back thousands of years that uh, a snake is something you might not want to touch. You know, and, and very few are venomous. 14% of all snakes are venomous mm-hmm. and all the rest are harmless, although some swallow you whole. <laughs> <laughs> so, but today, um, but that's not commonly. No, not at all. Not at all. And that's an old military joke. So, <laughs> so, but, uh, but uh, today, um, I think we're gonna we're gonna kind of specialize a little bit talking about a an icon of uh, the Mississippi of, of the Gulf Coastal Plain, and that's our our big eastern diamondback rattlesnake that is in trouble. And uh, through a little bit of education, we might get people to. To look at this animal as something not quite so scary. All right. So. Uh, we need to take a break. When we get back, we've got Faye on the line from Jackson. Faye, if you could hold on for us, we'll get to your call right after this break. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about snakes with herpetologist Terry Vandeventer. We'll be back with more after this.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield and Dr. Troy Major. And our guest today is herpetologist Terry Vendeventer. We're talking about snakes. Uh, And so if you have a snake question or a pet question for Dr. Major, you can call us up and join the conversation at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Faye in Jackson now who's on the line. Good morning, Faye. Go ahead. Good morning. I have a question for Terry. My yard has become a mecca for baby snakes. And I want to put out the do not trespass sign. (laughs) I don't want these little critters in my yard. What can I do to get rid of snakes? Why do you not want these critters in your yard? I don't understand. (laughs) They scare me. I work in the flower beds all the time. And I think some of these are poisonous snakes. And I can just see me reaching in to pull out a weed and, and get bitten. Well, do you live in the Jackson area? <clears throat> I do. I okay. live on the reservoir. There you go. Well, what you're finding in your garden uh, are not baby snakes. These are full-grown snakes. These are rough earth snakes. They're a little nondescript gray snake. They feed on the slugs in your garden, which is a good thing. And they're not venomous, but they're full-grown at less than 12 inches of length. And they're extremely common in in Jackson, I mean, in the Hines County, Madison County, Jackson region. And uh, again, perfectly harmless children pick them up and put them in jars and things like that. And and they're beneficial. They eat the things in your garden that you don't want there. But uh, just leave them alone. They'll be fine. None of, none of them are harmless. A venomous snake can enter a yard at any given time. But I think what, what we're dealing with in your case are the, the little earth snakes, sometimes called grass snakes or ground snakes. Okay. So there's really no no way to keep snakes out of your yard. Keep your well, keep your yard clean. Keep up with the Joneses. Um, mm-hmm. Get rid of food for snakes, such as rats. Uh, rats yeah. and mice is mostly what larger snakes eat. And if you keep your garden and your 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 yard clean and and do away with shelter, then all the snakes will go over to your neighbor's ratty place <laughs> and live over there. Okay. <laughs> but one, snake one repellents. Yes. Uh, Someone told me that one way you can tell if a snake is poisonous is on his belly, the, um, this not scales, whatever, rings will be a solid line across his belly. Well, uh, what we're dealing with is the scales that cross the underneath side of the body, and they are scales. When uh, down the entire length of the snake, they are a single row of scales across the stomach. But when you reach the tail... They will either remain single past the tail or onto the tail, or they will divide. In our in our pit vipers in Mississippi, those scales stay the same all the way to the to the tip of the tail. Whereas in in our harmless snakes, they immediately become a double row. But you have to deal physically with the snake to see that. So the best way to tell if a snake is venomous or not is to walk away. Yeah, just okay. walk away and leave it alone and and don't worry about it. Okay. So. All right, Faye, thanks for your call. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, talking about snakes today. If someone left a comment, it looks like it makes sense. It says, snakes may not hurt you, 
but they'll make you hurt yourself getting away from them. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, we have got some calls on the line, but Terry, I know you brought in uh, some uh, some uh, visual aids uh, and also something that we can listen to. And, and so uh, tell us what it is. Well, first, uh, let us hear it, and I think most people yeah. might know what it is. Well, they, they might, but I can't do it. And uh, the reason I can't do it is because I can't shake my fingers as fast as a hummingbird's wings. Oh, was that? Which is how fast a rattlesnake rattle rattles. And today we're we're especially talking about eastern diamondback rattlesnakes. And so I brought in um, a long rattle string from uh, one of my captive rattlesnakes. And people are always uh, very interested in rattlesnake rattles. When a person kills a rattlesnake, the first thing they do is they cut his rattle off for a trophy throw it on the dashboard of the truck to get lost, <laughs> and uh, which is kind of sad. But the rattle is the hallmark of the rattlesnake. Uh, there's over 50 different kinds of rattlesnakes in the New World and three in Mississippi. And the rattles are made up of the same thing your fingernails are made of. There's no little bead inside like a, a baby's rattle that rattles around. They're loosely linked together by a flange. Every time he sheds his skin, he gets a new segment. The entire thing is called a rattle. Uh, the, the individual pieces are not rattles, they're segments, and uh, they're, um, they're dry, and as they click together, you get this rasping sound. Uh, over the years, people have said, they've debated, what, is, what does a rattlesnake rattle sound like? And they've, they've, they've come up with many different things. And really, I think the most common sound it can be compared to is steam. Mm-hmm. It sounds like steam. And uh, again... That's the best I can do. But if he really gets going, it sounds like a steam kettle going off, and it can be quite loud. So you said they add a segment each time they shed their skin. How frequently do snakes shed their skin? Three to five times a year. Okay. So generally about four. So if you have a rattle, if you're looking at a rattle, and you count all the segments, provided he has his original baby button on the end, which they almost never do. We always say 14 segments and a button. No, the one on the end is not the button. Unless he still got his original one from many, many years ago. So you, if he's got that, you could count them, divide by four. You have an approximate age. Okay. This one is an extreme. I think this is like 25. Mm-hmm. So maybe oh, we yeah. can this count. Is, this is a long one. Yeah. <laughs> it's long, but that's a captive snake. You would never, ever see that in the wild. You know, 14 would be about maximum for the wild. We have got some calls to get to. We go back to the phone lines beginning again in Lexington. Don's on the line. Good morning, Don. Hi, Don, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. Go ahead. My my understanding is that some of the biggest um, concentration of pygmy rattlesnakes is just in the edge of the delta right outside of Lexington. Um, can you confirm that? Uh, I've never found them there. Uh, they're not found in the delta. Where they are found are on wildlife management areas that are controlled with fire. Fire is a very important uh, wildlife management and forestry management tool, which we've gotten away from over the years. And many people talk about pygmy rattlesnakes, and they tend to confuse them with other harmless varieties of snakes. But in my uh, 40 years of research on on Mississippi snakes, I've found no pygmy rattlesnakes in the hills aboard the Delta. Uh, But I do find them... Uh, on Camp Shelby and in the DeSoto National Forest and on wildlife management areas, again, that are managed with fire. They were probably abundant uh, prior to the 1920s, 
but uh, today pygmy rattlesnakes are relatively uncommon in Mississippi. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Appreciate the call, Don. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, we're going to Bob and Purvis. Good morning, Bob. You're on the air. Hey, how y'all doing this morning? Fine. Listen, uh, I think y'all are dereliction in your duty when you have this program on. You're talking about snakes. And there's a lot of laughter going on about snakes. This is one kind or another. But what y'all should tell people, you have to treat any snake as if it's poisonous, if you don't know about snakes. And to stay away from them, always be on the lookout for them. I've lived in the city, out of the city. I've found poisonous snakes everywhere. And a snake is, if you don't know, it's like a gun. You have to treat every gun like it's loaded. So everybody should be aware of any kind of snake, whether it's a little gray snake or whatever, stay away from it. You don't have to kill it unless you're, you're, uh, it could be in danger of getting uh, bit. So... It's not a laughing matter about the snakes. A woman called in and wanted to know about snakes in her yard, how to get rid of them. The best thing y'all should have done instead of telling it's just a little gray snake, stay away from them and be aware that any snake could be poisonous if you can't identify them. Thank you. All right, Bob, thanks for the call. Well, Bob, we're, we're early into the program. You didn't give me an opportunity. <laughs> and, uh, and I did tell her. I said the, uh, the best way to tell a venomous snake is to walk away. Just leave it alone. Uh, take two steps back and walk away. You are out of the danger zone. 85 to 90 percent. Now, this is absolutely unbelievable. 85 to 90 percent of all snake bites in, in the United States occur during the killing of a snake, hmm. during a person attempting to kill a snake. I tell people there is never a reason to kill a venomous snake. You can always walk away. You can always call a policeman. It can be transported by a professional. You don't have to do it. But uh, show them respect. Snakes bite when they're injured, when they're attacked. But they don't attack you when you're walking through the woods. So I agree with you 100%. Leave them alone. Show respect like you should for all wildlife. And you're not going to have a problem with a, with a venomous snake for sure. So. So if you do uh, encounter one, is it a quick retreat, a very, uh, you know, measured retreat? Do they react? uh, A lot of times you will automatically retreat (laughs) when you see one, of course. And uh, and and, and when we say a laughing matter, the the point is that these are animals that are simply making a living. Mm -hmm. They're just out there. They're afraid of people. They're not looking to bite people. I have encountered in my professional career over 2,000 rattlesnakes from Canada to South America I've had 16 rattle at me, 16 who made a sound before I saw them. In Mississippi, I've had one that rattled before I saw it. How many have struck at me? Zero. Mm -hmm. I've never had a rattlesnake strike at me. Well, you know, that just shows that if you view them for what they really are, that if you do away with all the myths and conceptions that, uh, that you've had over the years, the perceptions of their danger... You find out that they're they're fascinating and, and beautiful things, but they deserve respect just like anything else. All right. Uh, let's get one call in before our next break, and it goes to Johnny in Byram. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. What do you have for us? Uh, I grew up in the Delta, and uh, uh, me and my brother, we always had a game <laughs> of killing snakes with a rifle. You know, we had to knock the heart out to be called a kill. Well, to do that as a teenager, I would I would always go barefooted, and I would have to walk through literally hundreds of snakes coming out of the fields, back into the ponds. 
I've never been bit. I've stepped on one in my life. I did not like that. I, I accidentally picked up one. I did not like that. And uh, I've just never been bit. And shoot, oh yeah, for the lady that wants to keep snakes out of her garden, one king snake. They won't have any other snakes there. <laughs> well, king snakes certainly do feed on other snakes, and that's where they got their name. Uh, so I guess, you know, I hate to say it. Uh, is that the lesser of two evils? You know? <laughs> but again, treating all, when I, when I say, I don't, I don't come out and say you should treat all snakes as if they're venomous, because how does a person treat a venomous snake? They kill it. So I look at just leaving them alone, showing respect. Um, the Eastern Diamondback, the biggest rattlesnake in the world, uh, not as big as people think, but uh, a, a good friend of ours here, I think Libby knows him, uh, Lynn McCoy, used to work for the department, and he's a herpetologist in South Mississippi. And a gentleman um, called him because he had uh, was filling his deer feeder with food, and uh, he made six trips, only to realize that, the, that each time he made a trip, he stepped within about eight or nine inches of a large Diamondback. Hmm. And Lynn was called to remove it, and the fellow was so upset, and Lynn told him, he said, that snake had six opportunities to kill you, which is exaggerating because you're not going to die of a snake bite. Mm -hmm. But uh, it had six opportunities, and it didn't do it. And that snake later, a month or two later, gave birth to 12 babies. Had he killed the snake, he would have killed 13 snakes, which he might have been happy with. I don't know, but that's not a... Uh, a, a good way to think about it. But the fact is, that snake was very, very close to him, and it chose to do nothing whatsoever except stay still and quiet. Yeah. And that's one of their defenses, is their Absolutely. ability to be... Uh... And their color. You mm -hmm. know, deer hunters and squirrel hunters, they walk by snakes all the time, and they never see them. They were there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break. When we get back, Shelley is on the line from Perkinston. We'll get to your call right after this break. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Talking about snakes today. We'll be back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Talking snakes today and visiting with herpetologist Terry Vendeventer. Uh, so we uh, are, I've got some calls on the line, but I know earlier we were talking about uh, the rattle that uh, Terry brought in, and we uh, he told us that you can count the rattles to help determine the age. We've got a, quite a long one. Libby, you counted up the segments. How many How many did you yeah, end up with? there were 26 segments there. All right, so that's, uh, he's about seven or eight years old then, if well, my math is correct. Well, actually, this was a captive snake. Okay. You will never find a wild snake with that many segments. The, the uh, segments break off constantly. Uh, a snake can have uh, 14 or 15 one day and have one the next day. Of course, from that point on, he'll continue to grow and, and uh, he'll get about four years. So let's start over again. But this was a captive snake who lived in an environment where the 
he wasn't pulling his rattle on rocks and twigs and things like that. So, but it's kind of fun to see one that big. Yeah. And also you brought a snake skin in with you. Yeah, this was a skin from an eastern diamondback and this was an this was the same snake as a matter of fact. This was little John. Uh, many, many people, thousands and thousands of people knew little John from uh, wildlife shows and the museum and such. And he was a very unusual snake. He was the largest eastern diamondback in captivity in the world for many years. How big was he? Six foot nine. Wow. Now, six foot nine is absolutely gigantic. Was he eight feet? No. No such thing. And on the Internet, we see many, many pictures of people holding snakes with exaggerated uh, captions of nine feet long, 119 pounds, and things like that. That's not the case. And snakes don't grow forever. In high school, we learned that, that reptiles grew forever, but they, ha- they do not have indeterminate growth. If they did, little garter snakes in your yard would be eight feet long, and they're not. <laughs> so giant rattlesnakes, depending on your idea of what a r- giant is, are pretty much a myth. And the coloring there, is that fairly uh, typical for a, a diamondback? Yeah. It's kind of, uh, yeah. What, yeah. how would you describe that? Well, they're, they're tan colored with a series of large dark diamonds down the center of the back. Many timber rattlesnakes are called diamondbacks when, in fact, they don't have diamonds. They have V-shaped markings down the back. But the diamondback is is from about Hattiesburg to the coast mm-hmm. in the longleaf pine forest, that ecosystem. Uh, they do not occur in the delta or around Jackson. And uh, they're, they're the color of wire grass and sand and pine needles, uh, which makes them very, very hard to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, diamondback coiled in palmettos, the light and shadow cuts up his pattern and and so he can live his life in peace. All right. Got a lot of phone calls to get to. Let's start again in Perkinston with Shelly. Shelly, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. I can't believe I'm actually listening to this segment. <laughs> I'm very nervous of these creatures. Um, but I live in that area that you're talking about. Diamondback country. And towards the coast. And I live in the Piney Woods, and we see them. We see the Diamondbacks in, in my little refuge that I call home. And we take pictures every time we see one and send it to the um, the Department of Wildlife Fisheries, I guess. Because from what I've been told, they are on the ex- – they're – wanting to make them extinct and so we try and document when we see them in the area so folks will know that they're not extinct there's a ton of them down here <laughs> um but are we on the right track doing that well well sure sure uh, we want we want to know where they are i i would recommend probably uh using the the Museum of Natural Science in Jackson as your clearinghouse because they deal with all non-game wildlife and that would be would be rattlesnakes, of course. And yes, they are on the decline. Uh, many different reasons. Uh, the loss of the longleaf pine forest back in the 20s uh, caused many animals to, to uh, go on the decline or even become extinct in the case of the indigo snake in Mississippi. The suppression of fire. We no longer uh, commonly use fire uh, to, to uh, control underbrush in longleaf pine mm-hmm. situations. And that is beginning to come back now. Gassing pouring gasoline down gopher tortoise burrows, which is illegal, but was done for many years to to run diamondback rattlesnakes out of the burrows for capture and killing. There were even bounties on diamondbacks. They have declined tremendously, and they are actually a candidate by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as a, a threatened species and protection. 
making it illegal to catch or kill a diamondback rattlesnake. They are extinct in Louisiana, and uh, and populations are are actually quite low, except in in uh, particular situations. So, by all means, I would uh, contact the Natural Science Museum, and okay. they would be more than happy to to document those photographs for you. Okay. And thank and you. I have another question. Sure. One more. This is it. Um, it is a big, huge refuge. <laughs> um, it's nothing but pine trees. Um, but we, there's farm. Uh, we have cattle and sheep and, and some chickens. And my dad thinks, I need chickens down at my place. And I'm kind of throwing a fish. <laughs> I'd rather go get them up at his. I'm afraid they're going to attract chicken snakes to my yard. Am I crazy? No, not at all. That's why they're called chicken snakes. <laughs> but usually we get our eggs at Super Walmart these days. Um, you know, chicken snakes come around um, the barn and the chicken house looking for rats. But they're opportunistic, and if there's a little bitty there or there's an egg in a nest, they're certainly not going to pass it by. So uh, uh, I don't think you're going to lure them in, but uh, they may find a place to live there. And and these are good things. They're good things. You don't have to love them, and you don't have to... Uh, um, you know, think they're wonderful, but if you tolerate them and simply walk away, uh, that's always the best thing to do. All right, Shelley, thanks for your call. Good to hear from you. Let's move on. Next, we've got Mikey in Mobile. Good morning, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Oh, geez, uh, my question fits right in with what y'all been talking about. Thank goodness. Um, uh, I have a, an area that is uh, riparian, if you want to be snotty about it, um, <laughs> right near the water. Um, and surrounded, I've deliberately allowed the pines to grow up and deliberately allowed the border of the pine floor to develop. Um, there are also areas of debris left from previous hurricanes, which we shall, I mean, we don't even mention those names again. Um, I understand that, that, that snakes and other amphibians and, and reptiles and things, uh, gopher tortoises, will hang out in those areas where maybe a piece of a pier washed up. My question is, in those areas where the pine drop itself uh, is, uh, the, the pine needle drop, I should say, is maybe three to four inches, um, I don't see a lot of the snakes, but I'm sure that they could, you know, go on in there and, and um, slide under those areas of pine droppings. Is there a way for me to avoid aggravating them? Oh, well, sure, sure. Uh, again, uh, have a good attitude. You know, they're there doing a good thing. They're not there trying to hurt you, but accidents can certainly happen. Keeping up with the Joneses, keeping your yard clean and, and mowed and and that kind of thing, at least then you can see a snake. You you can he's not hidden, and you're doing away with his food and his shelter and such. But um, piney forests usually have um, a relatively low biomass. That means there's not a whole lot of of snakes and vertebrate creatures out there. But what are out there are doing a very important role. And so down in Mobile County, you have black pine snakes and coach whip snakes and things that are that are on the decline throughout much of their range. So um, I think you're probably giving them a good place to live. But the main thing to do is wear shoes and, and show good common sense and, and make a home for wildlife. Uh, sometimes people don't consider snakes to be wildlife, but uh, many people I know encourage snakes around their, around their homes. I certainly do. 
Uh, I'm thrilled to see one. My wife sent me a picture yesterday of a black racer out by our mailbox. Mm. So, uh, but as far as snake repellents go, there's no such thing. You can buy all kinds of snake repellents at big box stores and things, and they uh, they make your mind, they put your mind at ease, but they, <laughs> they really have been proven over and over again not to work. So, sorry. Right. <laughs> Mikey, thanks for that call. Let's uh, go on next. We've got uh, Deborah in Mobile. Good morning, Deborah. Hey, it's so glad that I get to um, share my story, and I got a couple of questions. I have, well, let me tell you this. I have a garter snake I've had in my yard for about three years, and he's growing. Last time I saw him, it kind of startled me. But <laughs> I work in a grounds department at a university, and I am constantly putting out snake weight. Now, this is a battle that I've struggled with. I cannot convince people that it doesn't do any good. I would like for you to elaborate on these uh, repellents. You know, I tell them to, you know, keep your grass cut, but just like you did, and uh, we have a problem. Well, there's a large body of water where I work, too. And my other question, too, is can they see and can they smell? Now, I've always said no, they can't see very well, and they don't smell, so... I will hang up and listen, okay? Okay, All right. great. Well, snakes have very sharp vision. They have color vision, but they don't see at great distances. A snake doesn't have to see a mountain vista to get along. He, he sees short distances, three, four feet, and uh, clearly and sharply, and beyond that, uh, a little less so, incredibly acute sense of smell. They, their entire existence is based on chemistry. They, they smell everything around them with their tongue. It's very, very important. Now, good for you on the snake way. Now, I shouldn't, we shouldn't use a trade name, but it's kind of like scotch tape, I think. Um, all of the commercial um, snake repellents are totally inefficient. They do not work. Uh, if you read the fine print on some of them, they actually admit it. <laughs> I guess that has something to do with the law. <laughs> they make your heart feel better, maybe. But what it comes down to is mothballs. And throughout the southern United States, mothballs are a cure-all for everything, <laughs> when in fact they're deadly. They do not repel cats. They do not repel snakes under any circumstances. I actually put a mouse on one end of a open mothball box, and I put a snake on the other side. He crawled through the box and ate the mouse on the other side. They do not work contrary to your grandmother, and they're deadly. At uh, Mississippi State Poison Control Center, I contacted them, and we have about 50 mothball poisonings in children and pets in Mississippi every year. Mm. Do not put mothballs out. But that's all that snake away, I mean, these snake repellents are, are, are ground-up naphthalene mothballs and sulfur, and neither of them in conjunction or individually work. No such thing as a snake repellent. All right. Fine. Uh, time for one final break this hour. When we get back, we've got some more calls to get to. Mary's in Braxton. Uh, we've got another Mary in Tupelo and our friend Timothy in Louisiana. We'll get to your calls. After this final break, you're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today we're talking about snakes with our guest herpetologist, Terry Vandeventer. Uh, we've got some open phone lines and some calls to get to, so let's move back to the phones beginning again in uh, Braxton. Mary's called in today. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. I've uh, lived in uh, uh, Arizona for 28 years, and I saw probably as many as 10 snakes in that time. And one of them was uh, up pretty close. <laughs> Uh, I was uh, leveling uh, my trailer, and I had a a, a four-square uh, bottomed uh, jack, and uh, I went around uh, to the front to do something there, and when I came back, I was about to reach down there, and right in the middle of the square was a uh, pink rattlesnake. A pink snake? Yeah, and it was a rattlesnake. Somebody told me what the name of it was like, something like Mojave rattlesnake. Or right. something like that. Where did you live in Arizona? Uh, near uh, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was probably a speckled rattlesnake. Uh, speckled rattlesnakes are bright pink, and they blend in with uh, the pink granite in that area. Hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, and uh, of all the snakes that I saw during that time, I never heard one that that uh, sounded like steam. I always heard the slow rattle and got out of there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mary. Uh, thanks for your call. That's a good, as we've been saying, if you encounter a snake, just back away. Uh, give it the respect that it earned, uh, and uh, you'll be okay. And, and, and But also, you can observe it from a distance, too. I think that's one of the things about wildlife that we like, is to see something in its its natural habitat. But uh, be be concerned, uh, be aware, be on guard, and just uh, give them some space, and I think that you'll be okay. Next, we've got uh, Mary, another Mary. This one from Tupelo. Good morning, Mary. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Can you hear me? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Uh, the comment you just made, uh, we see a snake back away from it, and um, your guest is saying snake away and mothballs do not work. Um, I wanted to share. Now, I couldn't back away from these two because they were invading my space. The first one is in my bathroom, draping over my tub, going down back of my wash basin. Midnight, I'm getting up to use the bathroom, so I had to deal with him. And the other one is in the bedroom of my mother, right across the headboard, with his head pointed up toward the wall. So with one hand, I pulled her bed, and the other one, I hit him with the stick, and I killed them both. So I'm one to give space and respect, but now when they're invading my space, I feel I have to do something about it. And I just wanted to say that, and you all can say what you want. All right, Mary, thanks for the call. Terry, any thoughts? Well, uh, snakes are where and when you least expect, for sure. And... uh, uh, I have never given people any kind of grief about killing a snake um, where there's children and pets. Uh, you know, something has to be done, obviously, if you're uncomfortable with those. Um, why do I never get snakes in my bedroom? <laughs> I never get snakes in my house. <laughs> but um, there's I, always I, different situations. We had one in our house once. It, it was cool. amazing. Paul and I were sitting there watching TV, and a gray rat snake comes out from under my chair. And it was really hilarious because Paul says, what do we do? And I said, I don't 
don't know. And he said, you're the one that always tells people what to do. So I said, okay, go get it. So we got a beach towel and threw it over its head. And mm-hmm. But it was still kind of wild because it got out of the towel for two or three thing, times. But then thing it, to think about, they're, they're usually there for a food source. That's mm-hmm. Yes. Remember how yeah. many people I've told that? Right. And I did put out mice traps after that, and I did catch a mouse. Uh, but we finally can? got it outside, and it could not wait to get away. Absolutely. You know, it was, a trash it can was on its definitely. side and a broom. Mm-hmm. A broom has a wide sweeping surface. Sweeping men take him to the woods. And I had already learned not to just pick it up because, you know, I've done that a couple of times when... Even a gray rat snake can bite you. He doesn't know that you yeah. love him. Don't put the yeah. That's <laughs> early, early doing camp. Once I I pulled a, a gray rat snake off a tree to show kids, and it turned around and Life's bit me. And of course, I had to act like I wasn't in pain. You <laughs> sure, know, so sure. let him go really quick and put your hand in your pocket and try That's not right. to cry. That's right. And when I told you, I remember you laughing really hard. Mm-hmm. Thought, oh, I've yeah. been bitten and bitten by non venomous snakes in front of audiences. Although they never do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Sarah, we, uh, I'm sorry, Kevin. Go uh, ahead. We just got an email coming in from uh, from Sarah in Columbus, and she was kind of reacting to that. the last caller. Well, one of the callers that we had was talking about everybody was laughing and we weren't taking it seriously with the snakes. But uh, she said that kind of just like you, Terry, she's been working in the field with snakes for um, almost about 20 years, and she's never been, you know, had an injury or anything. It, it often happens when people are not educated about snakes. So um, when in the last, you know, few minutes, uh, talk about some of the benefits that um, snakes provide to our uh, natural communities. You know, when we see them out, it's not uh, a bad thing. What are sort of some of the good things that they're doing? Well, sure, sure. And nobody should think that we're taking snake bite or perceived danger of snakes lightly. You know, this is a fun program. It's an educational program, and we should be able to joke around a little bit, I think. Exactly. But, um, but no, snakes are intricate components of the ecosystem. They destroy tremendous numbers of rats and mice. Rats and mice eat our food. They, they destroy our property. The number two cause of House fires in America are rats chewing on electrical wiring. They, they spread disease. Uh, Yosemite National Park was virtually shut down by deaths that were, that were attributed to uh, hantavirus, which was spread by mice in the park. And uh, snakes are the number one predator of rats and mice in the world. They destroy more rats and mice than all other predators combined. Hmm. They are peace-loving. They do not chase people. They do not attack human beings. You're talking to someone who's devoted his life to studying snakes around the world for 60 years. And um, I am a champion of snakes, but I'm not going to tell you something that, um, that isn't true in order to get my point across, for sure. They're, um, they're part of our history, our heritage. Uh, Benjamin Franklin wanted the rattlesnake to be our national emblem. <laughs> and uh, he was outvoted, but that's okay. We like eagles, too. You know? also, and uh, I don't know about the political situation these days, but don't tread on me. Right. So. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, water, and wildlife. And contributions from listeners like you. And a big thanks to everyone who made a contribution during our recent fundraiser. If you need to hear today's show or a previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash 
Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Sharita Brent. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest Terry Vendeventer, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. And we'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, only on MPB Think Radio.